Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. My name is Sam. I am the Adult Ministries Director, and I took a step this week that I've been needing to take for a while. I I took the plunge, so to speak. I went to the bookstore, and I bought for the very first time a large print Bible. Yeah, now, now some of you, some of you may be like my kids and be like, you know, that's weird. Why would you do that? And, and some of you probably say, yeah, I remember doing that. That's a good, good move. And then some of you might be thinking, hmm, they make those. My Bible, the print seems to be getting smaller every day. So there's a tip for you. They do make those. I think for me, that's kind of officially embracing the fact that I am no longer um, young anymore, right? I remember being young. I was just thinking about that over the last couple of weeks. I remember being in high school and I remember being in college. I remember my first house right out of college. Do you remember your first house right out of college? Mine was a nice house. It's a big house in a, in a well-established neighborhood in a small West Texas town. I it was hired to be a youth pastor of a church in this town, and they owned the house and let me live in the house. So a pretty sweet deal. And I remember the day I moved into the house, and I realized, you know what? I own absolutely nothing. I mean, most of my furniture was made out of cinder blocks and two-by-sixes. Now, I, I know that you do that today. You can snap a few pictures, put it online, create your own Pinterest and Etsy store, and people will pay top dollar. But that wasn't the trendy thing back then. I just did that because I owned nothing, and that's what I could get my hands on. But I lived in that house, and I met Stacy when I was living in that house, and eventually we got married. She moved into the house with me, and we began to accumulate things. And of all the things we began to accumulate, a shovel was not one of them. Now, one of these days, my kids are going to be old enough to move out of the house, out of our house. And when they move into their own place, I'm going to make sure that each of them has a shovel. And here's why. One day, I was walking home for lunch. I did this often. My house was about three blocks from the office. And so I was walking home for lunch. And I walked into the garage when I got to the house. And there in front of me was the one thing that I hate more than anything else in the world. A snake. Some of you already knew. Yeah. Now, you might be a snake person, but I am not a snake person. I will change my plans. I will replace my hobbies. I will relocate my family, if necessary, to avoid an encounter with a snake. But there was this snake. For whatever reason, on this particular day, the cat had drug a snake into the garage. And there it was. And here I was, an adult living in an adult house with a wife that I needed to protect from the viciousness that was before me. So I wondered, what am I going to do? I I watched for a few minutes. I wanted to see if the snake was dead or alive. It wasn't moving. I could see the puncture wounds in the snake from the cat, where the cat had drug it in. And it didn't move at all for a while. And so I worked up the guts to go and grab a broom. And I took the broom and kind of poked the snake a little bit just to see if it was going to react Well, it didn't, so I assumed the snake must be dead. So I take the broom and just begin to sweep the snake out the garage, down the driveway, and out into the street. I think, okay, problem solved. Went inside to treat myself to a hero's lunch. Came back out after lunch, and you're not going to believe what was back 
in the garage. Listen, that dead snake had crawled back up the driveway into the garage to haunt me. I know it was the same snake because it still had the puncture wounds from the cat. And I know the cat didn't drag it back in because the cat went into the house when I went into the house. So earlier, I was just scared. Now, I was scared and I was mad. There is no way this snake is leaving my garage alive. It must be destroyed. Well, as a boy, I remember riding around in the pickup truck with my granddad, and I remember watching him kill hundreds of snakes with a shovel. And that's just a way of life when you're a rancher out in West Texas. And the one thing that I did not have was a shovel. So I walked to my neighbor's house. This was a sweet older couple. I explained the situation, asked if I could borrow a shovel, and they said, yes, of course, help yourself to anything in the shed. So I went to the shed, grabbed a shovel, went back to the house, and stood there trying to formulate a plan because the snake was balled up in the corner of the garage. I couldn't get a clean shot on the head of the snake. So I was trying to figure out what am I going to do here. And before I know it, the sweet little lady from next door walked over to see how things were going. And so now I'm thinking, well, I've got to protect her now. I've got to figure this thing out. And I tried to explain the predicament. Before I could finish one sentence, she was in the corner of the garage, grabbed the snake with, with her bare hand, slings it, to the middle of the garage, took the shovel from me, and absolutely destroyed it. Problem eliminated, right? It was awesome. I mean, it, it was humiliating, but it was awesome. Well, here's the point of that entire thing, is that I thought I had taken care of the problem by assuming that that snake was dead, just sweeping it out of sight. But what I didn't do is I did not destroy it, and it came back. And it wasn't until my neighbor came over and helped eliminate the problem that I knew that was not going to be a problem in my life any longer. And I've been thinking about being young for the last couple of weeks and thinking about that first house right out of college, thinking about my sweet next-door neighbors and that day that I knew I needed to go buy a shovel. And I've been thinking about that because I've been reading for the last couple of months in the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. Now, that might be an odd place to land, you say, and it probably is, but that's just where I was in the sequence of my Bible reading plan. And so I'm in Numbers and Deuteronomy, and in Numbers and Deuteronomy, we see that, the, that God is leading the Israelite nation, all right? He's preparing them through Moses, his servant Moses, to inhabit this promised land, this geographical place that he had promised their ancestor Abraham that he was going to give them one day. And so he's leading them and he's giving them instructions for when they inhabit and take over the promised land. And as they prepare to conquer this, there were some instructions that he gave them that reminded me about that day that I swept that snake out into the street. Because essentially what God is doing here is he's telling them, he says, you're going to move into this land and you're going to have to fight some battles. And don't worry, I'm going to be, be with you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight with you. But you're going to have to fight some battles. You're going to have to defeat these people. You're going to have to drive them out. And everything that's left over, I want you to destroy. Whatever's left behind, I, I need you to destroy. This was a command that God gave over and over and over and over again as he's preparing the Israelites to move into this new land. There is no room for confusion. There is no room for misinterpretation. As a matter of fact, I wanted to share just a few of the, the passages with you this morning. In Numbers chapter 33, here's one of them. The Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, this was the promised land, he says this, you must, here it is, drive out 
all the people living there. You must destroy all their carved and molten images, and you must demolish all their pagan shrines. He gives similar instruction again, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely, there it is again, destroy them, make no treaties with them, and show them, I love this, no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their daughters and sons. And then the next, the next place in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you must destroy all the nations the Lord your God hands over to you. Show them no mercy. The next place in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you must burn their idols in the fire. You must not covet the silver or gold that covers them, and you must not take it. Do not bring any of these detestable objects into your home. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 20, in those towns that the Lord your God is giving you as a special possession, here it is, destroy every living thing. So the instructions were clear. Now, I do want to pause for just a minute right here because as I've been reading and studying this, what I've discovered is there, there are a lot of people who might make the argument based on verses like this right here that God is commanding genocide. And that's not the case at all because you have to remember these are ancient documents that were written to ancient people. And so just like we would use a phrase maybe today like, well, the Astros just destroyed the Dodgers yesterday. For them, they use this exaggerated hyperbolic language this rhetoric this was very common especially in the military conquest writings and it wasn't just the israelites it was all ancient cultures for example in 840 bc king misha of moab reported that the northern kingdom of israel and i quote here has utterly perished for always but the truth was that he had simply won a battle the, the nation of Israel was still around. We know that because historically we can see that they were taken into exile 100 years later. So they had not utterly perished for always. Um, a little bit earlier in history, Egypt's Tuthmosis declared the numerous army of Mitanni was overthrown within the hour, annihilated totally. There's some of that hyperbolic, exaggerated language that he's using. But we know that Mitanni's forces weren't completely destroyed. He had just simply won a battle against them because Mitanni's army went on to fight for another 200 years. And so everyone reading these accounts would have understood that, the, that, that this exaggerated language, just like we understand when somebody says, well, the Astros killed the Dodgers, right? We understand what they're talking about. And so a phrase like destroy every living thing would have been a common military phrase understood to mean defeat and drive out. And so over and over and over again, we see God give this clear instruction to the Israelite people. It's a clear instruction to drive out the inhabitants, to destroy everything that's left behind. And you might be asking, well, why? Why would he do that? And the Israelite people probably ask at times, why? What difference does it make? And it's a good question. It's a question that we ought to ask. The cool thing is that God never leaves that question unanswered. Virtually every time he gave that instruction, he gives the reason why. And so I want to quickly go back through those same passages and see where God gives the reasons why. So the Numbers 33 passage. Drive out all the people. Destroy all their carved and molted images. Demolish all their pagan shrines. And they ask why. What difference does it make? And God gives the response in the same passage. He says, but if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you live, and I will do to you what I had planned 
to do to them. He answers the why. And in the Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 2 through 4, when, uh, when he says, destroy them, make no treaties with them, show no mercy. And then he talks about, no, you must not intermarry. Don't let your sons and daughters marry their sons and daughters. And they must have been asking, well, what's the difference? Why? Why does this matter? And he answers it. He says this, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. He's trying to protect their children. We all want that, right? So he answers the why. And then later in Deuteronomy, you must destroy all the nations the Lord your God hands over. Show them no mercy. Well, what difference does it make? Why? And he answers the question. He says this, or they will trap you. You will be caught in a snare that you will not be able to get out of. You will, you will conform to the way that they worship their false gods. It's a trap. So leave Nothing behind. He answers the why. In the next passage in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you must burn their idols. You must not take it. Do not bring any detestable objects into your home. Well, why, God? What difference does it make? And he answers the question. He says, or it will become a trap to you. There we see that again. It's detestable to the Lord your God. For then you will be destroyed just like them. I don't want you to be destroyed is what he's saying. And then the Deuteronomy chapter 20 passage, he says, destroy every living thing. This is the one we just looked at. Well, why? What difference does it make? And he answers that question. He says, this will prevent the people of the land from teaching you to imitate their detestable customs in the worship of their gods, which would cause you to sin deeply against the Lord your God. And so he answers the question of why over and over and over again. We see this, that, that God has chosen them. He, he has set them apart as his special possession. He has something for them. He wants to give them victory. He wants to give them peace. He wants to protect them. He wants to protect their children. He wants to bless them, and he wants to bless the world through them. And he wants to keep them as far as possible from sin, because sin is what separates us from God. And he wants to protect that close, intimate relationship that he has with them. And as I've been reading through Numbers and Deuteronomy, it's, it struck me. There's a principle at play. And there are some truths at play in Numbers and Deuteronomy. What we see there, the instructions that God gives to the Israelite people that are still in play for us today. That are still just as applicable in our lives today. Because God loves you. God is for you. God has something better for your life than you could ever possibly imagine. God wants to give you freedom and peace and abundant life. He wants to protect you and he wants to protect your children. If you've put your faith in Jesus, Peter tells us that you are now God's chosen people, just like the Israelites were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. That he has set you apart. You're his special possession. You're his child. God loves you. And so as clear as the instructions were for the Israelites in the Old Testament, we have a set of instructions that are just as clear for us today. And the reason why is because God loves us. The Apostle Paul kind of sums this up. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3, he even uses some of the lang same language that we see in the Old Testament. So put to death. There it is, right? Destroy, annihilate, show no mercy, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. That's a terrible word, isn't it? We do not want to think about somebody lurking in the dark outside of our house, do we? 
That day when I came home for lunch and I saw that snake lurking in the corner of my garage, that was awful. But here's the truth, is that we all have things lurking in the dark corners of our lives. We all have things. I have things in my life and you have things in your life that are lurking there and they need to be destroyed. They need to be put to death. Why? Because God loves you. He's for you. And he has something better for your life that you'll never be able to experience as long as there's sin lurking in your life. So the question is, how how do we do that? See, the Israelites, they had a really clear set of instructions and they had a clear blueprint. Their instructions were to go in to fight this battle, right? To defeat the people, to drive them out, and then everything that's left, pile it up and burn it, destroy it. That was their set of instructions. But we have a very clear blueprint as well. And I think one place we see it really clearly is in Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul writes this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Hey, that's the same exact thing that God wanted for the Israelites. That was the same instruction he had for them. That was the reason why he gave them all all these sets of instructions to drive out and destroy because he did not want them to conform to the pattern, to the lifestyle, to the behavior, to the customs of the people that were living in that land. It's the same for us. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so here's a simple blueprint. One simple question. Is it conforming me or is it transforming me? Is this activity in my life? Is this relationship? Is this habit? Is this place that I go? Is this device? Whatever it is, is it conforming me or is it transforming me? Is it conforming me to the pattern of the world? The the New Living Translation says, do not uh, copy the behavior and customs of the world. Is this causing me to copy the behavior and the customs of the world? Or is it transforming me? Because of this thing in my life, is my life looking more and more and more like Jesus? Am I loving the people around me more and am I loving God more? Because of this relationship, this habit, this place that I go, whatever it is. And if you're not sure, like I said, God makes this very, very clear for us. He gives an even clearer picture of what this looks like. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter five says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. You can't miss it. There's no room for confusion. There's no room for misinterpretation. It's obvious. The results are very clear. And then he gives this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. And so ask yourself the question, is this thing in my life, is this relationship, this habit, this activity, whatever it is, is this thing leading me here? And if it is, it's time to get rid of it. It's time to destroy it. It's time to, as Paul would say, put it to death. Show no mercy because God loves you and he has something better for you than this. And then Paul goes on and he gives kind of the converse. Is it conforming me? Is it transforming me? How do I know if it's transforming me? He goes on in Galatians 5. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. What is fruit? 
Fruit is something that's produced on the outside because of what's on the inside. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is there a behavior, a habit, a relationship, a place, something in your life that when you engage with that, when you go there, when you do that thing, it leads to this? There's a good chance God is using that behavior, that habit, that relationship to transform you. Pursue those things. And whatever it is in our life that's not leading here, it's leading to that other list that we just looked at, the list of clear results of sin. Well, listen, here's what I want to challenge you with. Have the guts to pray like David prayed in Psalm 139. Check this out. Search me, O God, and know my heart. This, this prayer takes guts because this is, I'm an open book. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And this is key right here. Point out anything. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. That prayer takes a lot of guts. And so here's the application for today. Take an honest inventory of your life. Take an honest inventory of your life, your attitudes, your behaviors, the places you go, your relationships, your devices. Listen, I heard a story just, just, uh, just a couple of weeks ago about a young man in Kansas who came into a, a new relationship with Jesus and uh, started a, a new walk with Jesus for the very first time. And what he realized right away was that it was his, his phone that was causing him to conform to the patterns and behaviors of the world. And there wasn't anything wrong with the phone in and of itself, but he knew in his life it was his phone that was causing him to conform. And so he literally took his phone out into a field and shot it, <laughs> put it to death, destroyed it. Take an honest inventory of your life and ask the question, is this conforming me? Is it leading me to copy the behaviors and the patterns of this world? Or is it transforming me? And then show no mercy and ruthlessly eliminate those things that are conforming you. Why? Because God loves you. He's for you. He has something better for you than those things. And I don't know what those things are in your life. It takes time to kind of process and pray through. Pray that prayer like David prayed. Figure out what those things are. Maybe, maybe for some of you it's a relationship. Maybe you have a close friend that you realize every time I'm with this person, I find myself conforming. Every time I'm with this person, I find myself copying the behaviors and patterns of this world. Maybe it's time just to rotate some new friends in. Maybe you're in a dating relationship and it's causing you to conform. Maybe there's a place you go and, and you keep going there and every time you regret it because you, you know that every time you go to that place, it's causing you to conform to the patterns, to the behaviors of the world. Maybe there's an attitude that you have. Maybe there's a, something that you're involved with. Whatever it is, some of you, maybe there's, there's a, some, a secret stronghold in your life and nobody else knows about it, but it's causing you to conform and you know it's destroying you and you need to destroy it. And here's what I would say is a lot of times in those cases, it takes somebody else coming along beside us. Just like when I had that snake in my garage, I clearly had no idea what I was doing, how to get rid of that snake. And the little lady from next door came over Sometimes we just need to ask for help. If that's you, excuse me, I want to encourage you. Ask for help. 
We have a care network here at Brazos Fellowship. It's a great place to start. Or maybe, maybe for you, it's just there's something there, but you, you just say, you know, it's not that big a deal. You know what? They have way bigger problems. Mine is not that big a deal. It's a, it's a, it's a victimless crime. No big deal. Now listen, that's, that's what Achan thought. Achan was one of the Israelite warriors who fought in the battle at Jericho. Maybe you remember that one. This was the first military campaign for the Israelites when they crossed the Jordan to move into this land that God had promised them. And God had given them kind of this, this bizarre set of tactical instructions. I don't know if you remember this, but, but if you do, you know what I'm talking about. And he told the Israelite army, he said, for six days, I just want you to march around the city of Jericho one time a day for six days. And he tells them, on, on day seven, while you're marching, I'm going I'm to make the walls of Jericho fall down. And so they march for six days. And then on the seventh day, they know what, what God has promised. They know what's going to happen. But Joshua, he gathers all the army. He says, y'all, come on. I, I want to remind you of something. You know this because God's been telling us for 40 years now. But I want to remind you of this instruction that God's given us. And he says this in Joshua chapter 6. Jericho and everything in it must be completely, here it is, destroyed. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. And so he reminds them of this instruction that God had told them over and over and over again. And so day seven, they go in, they march around, the walls come down and the Israelites easily defeat and overcome and overtake the city of Jericho. And right after this account in Joshua chapter six, the very next verse, Joshua chapter seven, verse one, says this, but Israel violated the instructions about the things that were set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. <laughs> Achan didn't get it. He didn't get the why. He didn't get it. Instead, he thought, it's, it's, not, it's not that big a deal. This is not that big a deal. Something so small. As a matter of fact, we know what Achan took. He took a robe, he took a few coins and he took a little bit of gold, just enough that he could kind of hide away for himself. He says, it's not that big a deal. And God's saying, Achan, I love you and I have something better for you, but he didn't get it. And there were lingering problems because of that. Not just for Achan, but for the entire nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, right after this account, they went into another battle. And guess what? They were defeated, like big time defeated. Many men died. The entire army that should have been brimming over with confidence. Instead, they were paralyzed with fear. And it was all because of what Achan had done. And ultimately, Achan and his entire family were killed. So maybe there's something in your life and you think, it's not that big a deal. It's a, it's a victimless crime. This is something so small, it's really not that big a deal. But it's keeping you from God's best for you. And there will be lingering problems. So take an honest inventory of your life and ask the question, is it, is it conforming me or is it transforming me? And, he, and here's something else that I know about some of you because this is true of all of us. We're all sinners. It's clear in scripture and it's clear in our lives, right? We've all sinned and for some of you, you're thinking, you know what though? It's, it's, it's too late for me. I'm, I'm too far gone. I'm too deep into this thing, whatever it is. And here's what I want you to hear today. Your sin did not catch God off guard. Anything that you have done 
does not throw God off of his game. I heard this once and I love this. There's nothing that you could do to make God love you more and there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less. There's this incredible prophetic message that we see back in Deuteronomy in the middle of God giving this instruction that he's given to the Israelite people to move in, to uh, uh, drive out and destroy, drive out and destroy. There's this incredible prophetic message that God gives because he knows, he knows that they're going to disobey. He knows that they're going to turn their back on him and walk away from him. And we see it play out in history. We see in history that years later, The Israelites were invaded by Babylon, by Syria, by Persia. That millions of Israelites were taken out of their their promised land, their country, into foreign nations. That their capital city was destroyed. That their temple was destroyed. And God knows this is going to happen. And he speaks to this eventuality in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he says this. He he says, for the Lord, you're going to disobey. And then the Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few of you will survive. You might think, well, I'm too far gone at this point. But check this out, a couple verses later. But from there, from there, from where you are right now, from that place where you're saying, it's too late, I'm too far gone, from there, start where you are. Isn't that incredible? For some of you, that thing that you think it's, it's too late for me, that's the thing that God is going to use in your life to bring you back to him because that's where you are right now. Start where you are right now. From there, you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart uh, and in all your soul, you will find him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you and he will not destroy you. This was true for the Israelites. We saw it play out in history. And it's just as true for us today. So today if you're thinking, it's too late for me. I'm too far gone. God's response is this. I love you. I'm for you. It's not too late where you are right now today in this moment. I want something better for you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to destroy you. Search for me. All you have to do is call out for me. I'm a merciful God, and I'm here for you. I've got something better for you. And so that's it. That's the application today. It's, it's very, very clear. It's not easy, but it's very clear. Take an honest inventory of your life. Is it conforming me, or is it transforming me? And those things that you discover, yeah, this is something that's conforming me. It's time to destroy those things. Now listen, it's not easy. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you it is. And for some people, this is a process. This is part of our spiritual journey. This is the process God uses to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. But start today. Start from here. Start from where you are. And step one is to just simply trust God. And whatever that thing is, it's so hard for me to destroy, so hard for me to give up. Just trust God. Know that God has something better for you. And be willing to say, I don't, I don't know how, God, but I want to surrender this thing to you. I want to destroy it. I want to put it to death.
So you have a choice to make. Those things that are conforming you, are you just gonna sweep it out of sight? Are you gonna destroy those things? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.